You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. And welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm your host, Blake Rudman, coming to you live um, from Fargo. We've just had a, a wonderful first hour and speaking with uh, Mary Beth Weisenberger about the importance of, of prayer journaling and then uh, had a conversation with Heather, our uh, programming director here at Real Presence Radio. Um, just what the practicalities of prayer and kind of what that looks like in, in family life um, as well. So on the line, we have uh, Father Bob Schreiner, pastor in, in Red Lake Falls in the Diocese of Crookston. Um, Father Bob, thanks for being with us. Well, you're most welcome. I'm glad to be with you and to be back uh, with the Real Presence Radio family. Awesome. Thank you so much, Father. Um, so, Father, just tell us tell us a little bit about yourself uh, for our for our listeners. Okay. Um, so, as you indicated, I, I'm a priest of the Diocese of Crookston. I was ordained for the diocese in 1989, uh, and I have lived and grew up in the Diocese of Crookston in a little town called Felton. Uh, which is, for anybody who knows the geography um, south of Ada, which I suppose is where we did our, you know, uh, grocery shopping and whatnot. And we would be maybe, what, 40 minutes uh, north uh, east of Moorhead, so just a little ge- geography. I entered the seminary as a high school freshman um, at Cardamon Seminary and then went straight through the high school seminary and college seminary there. Went to major seminary in Chicago at Mundelein Seminary, and again was ordained in 1989. And I had occasion twice to go back for schooling, uh, and then I've I've had pastoral assignments in the diocese um, um, during my 32, going on 33 years. Wonderful. That's beautiful. Thank you for your priesthood. Thank you for your yes. Um, I am an alum of Cardinal Minch, so I, I share that with Father Bob as well. So that's a that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Father Bob, we are in the midst of the National Eucharistic Revival, um, which uh, the Bishop of Crookston, uh, Bishop Andrew Cousins, is is the chair of that of that committee. Um, it's such a blessing to have him so close within the listening area as well. So can you tell just the listeners a little bit about? Um, the Eucharistic Revival, and then we'll kind of talk about what the Diocese of Crookston is doing within that. But just uh, maybe a little bit about the Eucharistic Revival and why is it important? Yes, and and of course, um, Bishop Cousins is extraordinarily eloquent on that topic as he travels across the country, kind of planting the seeds in the hearts of the faithful for the revival in this first phase, the diocesan phase of the three years. Um, I think, as I understand, uh, it, it's kind of origins a little bit. It, it was certainly on the hearts of many of the bishops of the country, uh, you know, to, to find ways to bring people into a deeper relationship with the central mystery of the, the Church, um, the Eucharistic mystery, um, and have an intimate and personal relationship with the Eucharistic Lord. But I think that it really kind of um, took off into a higher gear when um, the uh, um, survey yeah. was, I think it was CARA, uh, had done a survey and and sh- and I think shockingly revealed just um, how distant the reality of the Eucharistic mystery was from the hearts of so many of uh, even the professed and and quasi practicing Catholics that their their the fundamental understanding and or belief in the real presence that is to say that it's body blood soul and divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that is present to us in the sacrament of the Eucharist 
was sorely wanting. Now, I think um, subsequent to the Cara survey, I think the bishop, some of the bishops have drilled a little deeper into the survey and um, would like to know more, and I think they, they're absolutely convinced that there's more to know about what that is exactly and um, what's yet to be done, but there is no question that uh, the bishops are motivated that saying, well, we really need to do something about this. And um, again, as I understand the history, and I'm happy to be corrected uh, in my error in this, but as I understand it, when Bishop Barron, now in our backyard in Winona, Rochester, mm-hmm. as the bishop, he was chairman of the Evangelization Committee and had inaugurated the, the, the journey into the possibility of this movement, and then he termed out of the chairman of that position, Bishop Cousins was elected in, and that's when it's taken its um, its its kind of final form as we're now into it, and uh, and he's uh, uh, going to be a, uh, leading that through our three-year phase. Uh, and so they've taken, and so Bishop Cousins does not tire repeating. This is not a program. This is a movement. This mm-hmm. is not um, you know a ten-step thing to you know a graduating certificate. This is about capturing hearts and minds, imaginations, and faith and leading them into a deeper relationship with the Eucharistic mystery, therefore a revival of what has always been burning at the center of the heart of the Church. But we need to light that fire in the hearts of more and more and more and more faithful people. And so to do that, they've structured this in a three-year process. First year, first phase, is the diocesan phase, so that dioceses as a whole will do things so that starts... Um, the Solemnity of Corpus Christi and runs to each Solemnity of Corpus Christi. Year two will be parish-focused, so each parish in every diocese will then have their own sort of initiatives and efforts. And then the third is the national phase, which, of course, culminates with uh, what I think is going to be a glorious Eucharistic mm-hmm. Congress in Indianapolis. That's beautiful. And I, what I really appreciate is just the action that was taken uh, by the USCCB to, hey, we... We need to do something. And um, I loved what you said with Bishop Cousin. This is not a program. This is a movement. <laughs> you know, this is something uh, that is so important in the hearts of the faithful to ignite it and to set it ablaze. And I think, um, you know, and I think that that, I, I totally agree with you, and I think that we really always have to keep this in mind um, because the efforts of evangelization are always going to take root because it's personal and it's, it's um, well, I, no, I won't even try to find another word. It's personal. Mm. It's interpersonal between the heart of Jesus and the heart of the believer, the heart of uh, the heart of the one to be converted. And programs can, can help, but they can't replace the personal relationship, the invitation and the response. And I think too often, in pastoral planning, as John Paul would call it in, in moving to the third millennium, but, you know, it's not about pastoral planning. All pastoral planning, John Paul said, has to be directed toward personal holiness. If it doesn't yield that, then skip the plan. It, mm-hmm. It's not working. Benedict himself said, we're not saved by a program, we're saved by a person. Yeah. Uh, Benedict Sixteenth, And so I think the the twin pillars, uh, you know, of St. John Paul and Pope Benedict, who set the framework for this evangelization revival effort in the third millennium, is exactly what the bishops have taken up, uh, you know, in this Eucharistic revival. Yeah, and 
I, I'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this, Father. I'm kind of kind of throw you a, a curveball here, but I'm sure there's some wisdom in going from year one diocesan to year two parish, and just in my just looking at it, I think there's something to be said about uh, the bishop of that particular diocese leading his brother priests in um, in particular exercise or particular things to ignite the fire of, of the Eucharistic thing. Like, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts of like just the wisdom of, of starting with the diocesan level. Well, uh, like I, every batting coach will, will tell the student never, never go after a curveball, but I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at batting. So I go after every <laughs> curveball. Um, so yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I think there's a great wisdom in that insofar as, it isn't, it isn't an instinct of top-down, mm-hmm. but it is an instinct of leadership. Yeah. That is to say, if the bishop, in his term of responsibility for the Eucharistic revival, steps up to the plate and shows the leadership, then, then it, it will flow and be uh, imitated and mimicked and, and, and guided by that leadership. As opposed to, you know, well, let's see what will happen, and then I'll, I'll take best practices and run with it and look good. Mm-hmm. That's a bit cynical. But at the same time, I think this is, uh, again, it, it, it isn't um, a, a managerial top-down instinct. Mm-hmm. It's a leadership, you know, it's, it, the shepherd leads the sheep. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, and then you pass it on to the local shepherds who will lead the sheep. And... And if if the flock of a diocese have spent a year watching a bishop tireless in the Eucharistic revival, that just hands on the baton of success in the next leg of the journey for pastors to already build on that and say, Okay, then let's keep this going. Now let's let's do it by name and by person and by heart and by soul because we know who in our parish is ripe to be able to take the next step of, of a deeper relationship. We know in our parish who are distant from the Eucharistic altar on Sundays. Let's go after that. I mean, it just makes sense that that we start with a shepherd in front of a diocesan flock showing the local shepherds, the, the pastors who minister in his stead in the local churches, or I should say in the parish churches. It just, it just makes sense ecclesiologically for, for us. And again, it's a mistake to interpret that as a top-down managerial mm-hmm. style. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely uh, instinctual from the ecclesiological vantage point of priesthood and and um, and apostolate. I appreciate that that distinction, Father. Just it's not a top-down managerial uh, type thing. It's it's the Father, <laughs> the Shepherd, right. leading the flock. And how do you lead? Is by by showing, by doing, by living. Um, what the intent of the Eucharistic revival is. And I think that's so, so important for the people, whether they know the ecclesiology of, of what a bishop is, or they know, that's my father. That's, that's you know, just by his words, by his actions, by there, there's something to be said about the father, the shepherd, doing the leading by living. Right. No, I, I mean, it, and it's irreplaceable. It's just irreplaceable. And, and, and you know, you can... You're going to analyze that um, 
in all sorts of uh, yeah. circumstances. Well, awesome, Father. On the other side, we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side, we're going to talk about what is the Diocese of Crookston doing uh, for the Eucharistic revival on the diocesan level. Um, again, we're going to take a real, a real Presence Live break, and we'll see you on the other side. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. The very word Catholic means universal, and so we transcend boundaries. We, we cross boundaries. Obviously, the, the parish, the diocese, they have boundaries which are, are useful, but, but the church is universal. And to be able to have the, the participation of bishops from all the dioceses, really, in this entire area, our whole region and province, does convey that sense that the church isn't just one little enclave, it's not just one little corner of the world, but really it, it uh, embraces the entire world, certainly it embraces this region. And yeah, it's true, the bishops of, of our area, we all have different personalities and different gifts, but we proclaim the same faith, and uh, that comes through marvelously. And I, I also think, too, that for our faithful in the Diocese of Fargo, it's good to hear news from other places. It's good to hear what's going on in other dioceses and parishes and families. And uh, Real Presence helps to make that happen. Lord God, I ask your blessing on Real Presence Radio, on all those who listen, and all those who support this network. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. like to shop local, but sometimes there are items you can't easily get nearby. The next time you shop online, think of Real Presence Radio. If you use our special link, Real Presence Radio will get a portion of your purchase price on Amazon, and it won't cost you anything additional. Just go to realpresenceradio.com smile, and you're all set. You'll be directed to Amazon Smile, where a portion of your purchase price will be donated to Real Presence Radio. It's easy, fast, and doesn't cost you a dime. Find the link at realpresenceradio.com smile. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm your host, Blake Ritterman, broadcasting live from the Fargo, North Dakota studios. Uh, my guest today for this segment is Father Bob Schreiner, pastor in Red Lake Falls for the Diocese of Crookston. And uh, we were talking about the Eucharistic Revival and uh, talking about uh, this is year one of a three-year um, movement, as we, as Father said, uh, really focusing on that diocesan level. And Father, you're, you know, in the Diocese of Crookston. So what are some things, as the Diocese of Crookston looked at this, what are some things that uh, you guys are doing on the diocesan level in this first year of the Eucharistic Revival? Sure. Well, um, so, so far, so Bishop Cousins uh, convened uh, a diocesan Eucharistic Revival Task Force with the responsibility to uh, imagine and to execute um, ideas for what we could do as a diocese, and so we've been meeting for quite a while now since before the Feast of the Solemnity of Body and Blood of Christ. And so uh, we kicked off with um, a diocesan Eucharistic procession uh, in Bemidji, and, and that, uh, so it was a Mass and Eucharistic procession mm -hmm. and a social to follow. And um, the unfortunate thing was that, it was, I mean, it was, it was 
going well it was it was extraordinarily a beautiful event by by in in so far as faith is concerned but we had there had been a plan to actually leave the church of saint philip's and process across the the main drag there in downtown mm-hmm. Bemidji, and then and then process to uh, by Paul and Babe along the lake, if you know Lake Bemidji. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it was going to be a beautiful public, you know, declaration of our belief in Jesus Christ and to bring Jesus lakeside and to adore and worship and sing to him and then to return to the... Well, it was only 694 degrees that day. <laughs> right. And and so at the risk of, you know, using every ambulance in a four-county radius <laughs> of bringing people in for heat stroke, there was a last-minute last decision to just go around the block. Yeah, um, which was a smart decision and a, and a healthy decision, but it was a bit of a disappointment because I it would have been glorious to be lakeside. Uh, but anyway, so we started with the Eucharist procession. The church was full. I was particularly moved. I would have been moved with any kind of a full church or any gathering the faithful. However, the number of young families that came to this and the kids in their communion dresses and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. per, you know, um, processed. It was so inspiring, and I was just absolutely moved with, you know, our beginning uh, and that experience of it. So that was really fantastic. Um, we've also now also had a, a rosary, a Eucharistic Rosary Congress, in which the the uh, first-class relics of the patron saints of the Eucharistic Revival were present to us. Uh, and so it was um, basically about 40 hours of, of talks and uh, recitation of the rosary and community building and so on and so forth. And uh, and so that was that was a beautiful uh, event. Now we're into the mercy hours. Our our youth rallies are Eucharistic uh, uh, oriented. So for the talks and um, even our, our summer camps, we're already anticipating it uh, for the young people. And so our youth are being invited in through the diocese and experiences. And like I said, we've had two of the five mercy hours, which we can return to. Um, and and we're we're constantly developing other things. There's going to be uh, a selected book that we're going to, uh, I don't know what it is yet, I'm not on that task force, that sub-task force, but we're going to um, promote a, a book for reading, I think it's going to be in Lent, that all of us as a diocesan ch- uh, church will read together, that will you know, be part of discussion groups and whatever, uh, as part of the diocesan um, uh, experience of the Eucharistic Revival in year one. And um, I know I'm gapping, but um, at this point, I can't think of no, the that's, of what we're planning. But that's beautiful, Father. There's lots, lots going on that already. Well, has let me mention. Occurred. It just occurs to me. Uh, there's what we're calling a rolling Lenten mission, mm-hmm. where um, there will be a, a, par- a Lenten mission that will be. You know how parish Lenten missions will be like from Sunday night, Wednesday night. Yeah. There's every. You know, well, we're going to do something um, Sundays in succession. Uh, rolling throughout the diocese with, um, so we have uh, speakers from the Speaker Bureau of the Eucharistic Revival, the National Speaker Bureau. We have um, Bishop Cousins doing one of the the rolling Lenten mission uh, experiences and so on. So that's developing. That'll be in Lenten. So um, sorry, I interrupted. No, that what a gift that uh, again going back to taking action, you know, taking advantage of the opportunity in front of us. Um, to roll out this movement and just in just beautiful ways through that that opening liturgy i remember that it was even hot in north dakota <laughs> in central north dakota where i was at <laughs> a hot and windy day um, oh, yeah. um but just to start out that way in community having a full church and then just all the beautiful ways that that you know again a movement lighting the fire 
of, yep. of the Eucharistic yep. presence in the hearts of the, of the believer. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the Mercy Hour is a Eucharistic healing service for marriages and family members um, is kind of what it's, it's promoted as on, uh, in the Diocese of Crookston. Mm-hmm. So just tell Correct. us a little bit about the Mercy Hours and why is it important? Yeah, so, and, and this is um, uh, by way of the suggestion uh, of Bishop Cousins as our task force, our diocesan task force, was brainstorming. Um, Bishop Cousins had had an experience um, uh, in parish missions with, I, I think, the, the originator of this whole thing is a Dominican priest that he's worked with as he came in to help with um, parish missions. Um, this Dominican priest had developed what was called Mercy Night, so it would typically be on the last night of a parish Lenten mission. Okay. And Bishop Cousins had been invited in to, to celebrate the Mass and, and to, to do the follow-up uh, experience of healing for marriages and, and families. And so when we were doing our, our dreaming and planning, Bishop Cousins put that on the table saying, I'd really like to see us do this uh, in each deanery, one in each deanery over the year. Well, I mean, first of all, it's a brilliant idea now that we know what it is, but even when we didn't know what it was, when the leader of the Eucharistic Revival nationally suggests something to his <laughs> local church, it's like, okay, okay we're doing that. we're doing it. <laughs> all right, then, so put that on the list. But it, it's, it's really lovely, and again, his pastoral instincts, I think, are just so spot on. So what it is, is so, so we've adapted it from what would have been the end of a parish mm-hmm. mission, on a Wednesday night or Tuesday night, whenever it would finish, it would end this way. We've adapted it now to roll throughout the diocese, one in each deanery. And and instead of the evening, we've put it, uh, four of the five will meet on Sunday afternoons at the hour of Divine Mercy. Mm. And so to connect to connect that, uh, and, and, and to shorthand it, what it is is exposition and adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, um, and during the adoration period, uh, we, there's an integration of uh, a litany for marriage and family healing. So uh, there's a petition that is read before each Hail Mary, so there's 50 petitions that are specific. So, uh, so the, people are praying the rosary, there's, there's um, meditative music being played and sung. And meanwhile, there's two stations. So a an individual, because everybody belongs to a family, so this is for everybody. There's not a human being on the planet that would have to be excluded in this. So first you go to what is the, called the St. Joseph Station, and there a priest or a deacon prays over you a very specific prayer of St. Joseph for healing of the marriage and family, because St. Joseph is the pillar of families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then each person who comes is anointed with St. Joseph oil, which is the oil that comes from the St. Joseph Oratory in Montreal. Mm. Uh, of St. Andre Bissette, and so on and so forth. And then when you have had the St. Joseph prayer and oil anointing, uh, then you move to uh, where Bishop Cousins will be at a station where he's holding Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, in the monstrance, and you just come and you have an intimate moment of, of prayer in the presence of the Lord Jesus in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, over, in, with, and above, you know, in your midst and with you. It's an intimate moment as you come from St. Joseph's intercession and you kneel before the Blessed Sacrament. Bishop, our shepherd, is holding that, and he just, you know, you just pray with it. You just let Jesus do his powerful thing in the hearts and minds and souls of, of family members that come. 
Oh, and so, it, so it, it's just an extraordinarily powerful, you know, and Bishop Cousins does a meditation uh, on uh, Matthew chapter 11, 25 through 30, come to me all you who are weary and find like burdensome, and I will give you rest or refreshment, depending upon your translation. And he does a meditation on that, orienting uh, everybody there to come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. He will lift the burden from your hearts and minds and souls. And everybody's already there understanding that whatever may be the burdens of, of a history of woundedness in marriage and family life, or the current burden of marriage and family life that, you know, is a struggle right now, um, or is anticipated an anxiety, an, an illness, or, you know, whatever. Um, come, come to Jesus. And that intimate, and by intimate I mean not only heart-to-heart, but I'm physically intimate. Most of our folks don't get as close to the Eucharist as this will be. You know, everybody's usually in their pew, um, you know, distant in that sense. Now you come into Holy Communion, of course, but this is really an intimate, intentional, healing uh, moment of, of prayer and relationship and, and Holy Spirit time. Uh, so beautiful. And everyone, I love that, heart-to-heart, but you're face-to-face with Him. Yes. Because um, right. everyone needs to give that fiat. Everyone needs to see that yes. Um, yes, right. Lord, I'm here. So, you know, uh, we have about two minutes here, Father. I guess what has been, you've had, so there's there's four planned, I believe, um, excuse me, five planned uh, with mercy hours throughout the diocese, and you've had two so far. Uh, so yep. what has been the effect or what has been the feedback from those that have gone to these uh, mercy hours? So um, talking with Bishop Cousins, talking with uh, at least one one set, of, uh, you know, one pastor of the two that have had it, and talking to people that were actually there as family members and as families, all of them have said it's just been extraordinarily powerful, um, and and some have said beyond what they ex- would have ex- expected. They knew it would be beautiful, it would be nice, but it went deep, and so um, and 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 so the experience of those that have gone through the first two is extraordinarily positive. Um, and beyond that, that's just that's almost too banal to, to even say it that way. It's been a powerful spiritual experience, an encounter with Christ in the Most Holy Eucharist, and the, the paternal, fatherly, loving intercession of St. Joseph. That's beautiful, Father. I'm speaking with Father Bob Schreiner from the Diocese of Crookston, talking about the Mercy Hours uh, Eucharistic Healing Services for Marriage and Families in the Diocese of Crookston. Uh, Father, where can they find out where to where the next Mercy Hours are? So everything that we're about, and including the Mercy Hours, the dates and times can be found at the diocesan webpage, uh, crookston.org, and then if you want to go straight to it, it's crookston.org slash revival. And that'll take you straight to the page. But if you don't remember the slash and revival, just go crookston.org, go to the main page, and you'll see a link to our revival activities. Well, thank you so much, Father, for your time. Appreciate you. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back on the other side with Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. 